This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. this expertise and talent back at home, it's a dream come true for me. My name is Tahir Johnson. I'm born and raised here in Ewing Township, New Jersey. Third generation. My mom grew up here, graduated from high school here. My parents actually were the first African Americans on our street in 1954. My mother, yeah, for over 30 years, she worked at General Motors. And when GM left, that really made a major impact. The town really changed. Where my shop will be located is right there on the block where General Motors was, where my grandmother retired from. I've been a long-time cannabis lover, for lack of a better word. I was arrested for cannabis on three separate occasions, and the cops said that I looked like a drug dealer, and they ended up searching my car. I had a small amount of cannabis. I had a, about a dime bag of weed. And now, look at him. He is the Director of Social Equity and Inclusion at U.S. Cannabis Council, he testified today before the New Jersey Senate. Let me welcome to the show Tahir Johnson. Hi. Aaron, how are you? It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to see you. Pleasure to see your daddy, George. Hey. Hey, family. Hey. Um, <laughs> I hear him. It's right there. Um, let's, I want to, you know, I'm not an, an imbiber, not imbibing, that's drinking. I, I've never partaken in the, in the cannabis, never, never smoked it, but I don't judge it. You know, of course we all went to college. Everybody smoked weed college. You've been to concerts, you've smelled it. You know what it is just for me. I've always uh, just been in this space where I don't want to have anything to alter my reality. That's me. But I've always been an advocate for the legalization after I read Behold a Pale Horse. And I realized that the legalization of marijuana or the illegalization is tied to power, is tied to economy, is, is tied to colonization, it's tied to a lot of things, but it's not because it's bad for you, because then explain cigarettes and alcohol. Why are they legal? Um, you getting arrested, and I love you sharing that in this piece that we played, for something now that is legal in a lot of states in this union. How do you, how do you feel about that? And do you have a record still? Yeah, so it, it feels strange to be working in an industry that made $26 billion in sales last year, but people are still being arrested for cannabis today. There's over 40,000 people in jail for cannabis right now um, in this country. So um, again, myself, I, I've, been, I've been previously arrested. Thankfully, I don't have a cannabis record anymore. I was able to get all of my charges expunged. Um, it was a process that I, that I was able to do myself um, and previously before cannabis, I worked in finance. So it was something that every time I ever tried to get a job, it would come up, you know, it would come up on my um, background check. So I was lucky to still be able to excel and be able to get the opportunities that I had. That's why I'm so passionate about, um, you know, this industry and knowing the barriers and different ways it has impacted people. Tell me, tell me a little bit, just walk us through the one, two, threes of expungement, because I know there, there may be somebody listening right now who has a child who may have gotten caught up in something. Um, wh what made you eligible? Was it because it was a misdemeanor or was it a misdemeanor? And wh where did you go to, to, to get your record expunged? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so I've, 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 like I said, I've had cannabis charges on three separate occasions. Two of those were misdemeanors. One of those was actually a felony. Um, the reason the the felony charge I, I actually um, I, I I actually beat the beat the case when I went to court. Thankfully, 
Um, but of course, it's something that still shows that you, you know, that you've been charged with it, right? Even if you haven't necessarily been convicted of it. Um, so thankfully, um, I was able to, um, in Maryland, my cannabis charges that I had were in Maryland and D.C. Um, in D.C., when I had the cannabis charge, it was a misdemeanor. And afterwards, after cannabis was legalized, you know, if something is no longer, like, if something is no longer, like a crime, like in D.C., after they legalized cannabis, you were able to go back and get it expunged. I was actually able to go to the public defender's office um, and they give you all the information to be able to fill it out, like get the paperwork. So I, I remember vividly running back and forth between the court and like the public defender's office, like getting all that paperwork done to be able to fill it out. Um, and then in Maryland, it was a little bit more of a process. I had to like I had to collect the like get the information on my cases and then like file the paperwork. There was a website that I used that actually helped, um, that somebody recommended to me. Um, at the Maryland court that actually helped me to do the paperwork. But the good thing is now in a lot of states when cannabis is legalized, one of the things that a lot of us advocate for is that cannabis charges should be automatically expunged. Um, in New Jersey here, for example, a lot of cannabis charges were expunged when we had legalization, um, but there, there are still some that don't, that don't always, um, that doesn't always happen. I was actually talking to one of my interns yesterday and she said that her brother um, has cannabis charges and he's he just graduated from college and now he's experiencing that challenge where he's going to try to get a job and it's coming up. Um, you know, so, you know, again, cannabis ex expungement and people not having charges and people not being penalized and no longer having to um, face the stigma of cannabis. Now that, now that we have this whole big legal industry that's making billions of dollars is something that's super important that I try to work for. That should be number one. It should be as automatic as I believe registering to vote, registering when you get your driver's license, your your information should be automatically in the system. When you turn 18, everyone should be automatically registered to vote. It shouldn't be a situation where you have to jump through hoops. And if your state legalizes marijuana, cannabis, your record should be automatically cleared and expunged. But they make it hard. They make it hard. So today you testified before the Jersey Senate why? Why were, why were you there testifying? Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I was testifying in, um, in the New Jersey State Senate today talking about social equity. Um, New Jersey, we, um, we legalized the, the cannabis legalization went into effect um, last year in February. Um, and now um, New Jersey's legal cannabis markets just opened up for adult use sales in April 21st. Um, so I was there testifying today along with my um, my good friends, Leo Bridgewater and Jessica Gonzalez. Uh, we call our, man, we had a group of folks, we called ourselves the Equity Avengers, man, as it was <laughs> as it was last year. And, you know, and they put out the legislation. We were, we were sitting there fighting and really like part of, you know, all of the different people, like from different attorneys, um, advocates, people that have really been fighting for cannabis. We helped to try to make sure that the laws are what they are today, really, because um, it didn't, it didn't start out like this, but um, thankfully, Senator Scatari, the president of the Senate, asked me to come testify on social equity. Um, and, you know, I, I'm thankful that I had the perspective now where I do national work focused on cannabis policy. Like you said, I'm at the U.S. Cannabis Council, but also at the Marijuana Policy Project um, at the U.S. Cannabis Council. I, I'm focused a lot on federal legalization and social equity policy and programs. Um, I started an internship program with the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation to try to get um, more black people in the industry um, I, with the Marijuana Policy Project. Um, Marijuana Policy Project has been the leading organization on state legalization um, for the past 26 years. So now I've had this perspective of, 
um, somebody who has, has been a leader in policy. Um, you know, when we, when we talk about social equity and the people that we wanted to benefit, right, people who've been impacted by this war on drugs, I, I mean, I definitely fit that category. Um, and then as, as an entrepreneur, I also had the perspective because here in New Jersey, I just applied for a license um, to have a dispensary here in my hometown. Um, so, um, you know, I, I kind of bring the perspective of somebody that understands the policy. But, you know, again, when I think of this, um, I'm, I'm always thinking about the experiences that I've had and all the young brothers and sisters like me all over this country that have been impacted by cannabis. And I think the most important thing, especially if we're going to have markets like New Jersey is going to be a multi-billion dollar market, right? And so there's no reason that if we're going to have this multi-billion dollar market that people that look like us that have been the ones that have been arrested should not be the ones that have a piece of that. So I've even been thankful that I'm getting to jump out there and, and you know, get my own, you know, get my own business for the past four years. Um, you know, I've been working with social equity people all over the country, like hundreds of people. There's so many amazing stories of people that are just doing great things in this industry. So, I, you know, I just always try to represent that. And, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm thankful that, that they value my opinion enough that they wanted me to speak. But it was a great experience today. Tahir Johnson is here. Uh, you can follow him at Todd Diddy, T-A-H-D-I-D-D-Y on the Twitters. But I think you're more active on like TikTok or Instagram, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm more. I'm probably more active on Instagram. I do a lot of a lot of tweeting too. Um, yeah, you know, when it comes to Instagram, you might catch me doing a lot of cannabis policy stuff. But I even hit the even hit the dance moves once in a while too. Yeah, I, I've seen. That's I've seen that. Todd Diddy nickname, you know. Todd Diddy. Yeah, I hear your dad chuckling in the background. I wonder how he felt uh, when you got arrested for cannabis. Well, uh, it was what well, you know, Karen. When me and my wife used to go to bed on weekends, and when my sons go out around about nine o'clock, if we got a call, we knew that something was going on. So it was always a frightening experience. You figure from the age 13 all the way up to 18, these guys, three sons, they were getting stopped all the time. And uh, and then, you know, he was in college, so I, I was the closest one. I get the call, so I'm, I'm out. You know, I pick them up, do what I got to do, and were I'm just you- glad that. George, George, and, and Tahir's dad, let's just welcome him in, George Johnson, who's also a musician uh, by trade. And, um, you know, thank you. Thank you for being here with him. Um, you know, like a lot of parents in, in my generation, your generation, marijuana was looked down upon, you know, as, you know, a hippy-dippy loser type of, you know, these are bums, people who smoke weed, they're, they're lazy, they're this, they're that. Were you critical of your, your son? No, no, I wasn't critical. I wasn't critical at all. They they couldn't be, but so critical because you know I'll yeah. tell you one thing. I, you know, I, come I, on to here. Tell the truth. Tell the my truth to here. Were always my my parents were always honest about their cannabis use from a young age. You know, and that was something that really inspired me. Um, like I had the like my especially my mom. Like my dad was a little bit more reserved. He's cool now that he's older. But my mom, like she used to be like like I knew like my mom's friends that were doctors, lawyers. My mom was a successful businesswoman and she smoked weed. So this this thing, this stigma that most people had that that cannabis, you couldn't be successful. Um, I, like I never had it really. But that doesn't mean that in high school when they found out that I first started smoking that they didn't, you know, come down on me like every other parent. Like, you know, it's all about responsible consumption. Um, but again, like, you know, not having the stigma of cannabis and understanding that it can be something that is actually a, a good thing. You know, both of my parents were in fine arts, right? 
Like my dad's a jazz singer, yeah. you know, my mom's a dancer. So, you know, they're culturally, they're a little bit different than, right. you know, a lot of people might've been. <laughs> okay. And now, and now look at you, right? So um, the ownership of a dispensary, yes. walk, us, walk us through, you said you've been in this for four years, you know, to hear Johnson is here. What is that process and what's the upside to owning a dispensary? Um, well, you know, the, the upside, of course, um, you know, uh, I believe the upside of owning a dispensary is as we talk about legalized cannabis, right? Um, the dispensaries are, are, I mean, it's where you come, it's where you come to get the, to get the product. So, I mean, generally like that's, that's where the opportunity, gen- owning the cannabis business, now that we're talking about legal cannabis is an opportunity to participate in the generational wealth that's being created. Now that cannabis is being legalized. And it's been, a, it's been a tough journey. It's been a heck of a process. This isn't my first time applying for licenses. This is actually my third. Um, I, I used to work on Wall Street before I was a financial advisor. Um, at, and I quit my job in finance because I thought I was going to get licenses the first time in 2019. But is that, is that competitive? The difference is now there's more of a, a focus on social equity, um, where they're trying to make sure that people that, um, like me, have opportunities um, and the program is, is a lot more conducive and, and um, has lower barriers to entry for people to be able to get in. So what, um, are, the, the, what are, just break down, what, what, yeah. is, it, what is it required to, to own a dispensary? Yeah, so the process, the process to have a dispensary, I had to submit an application to the New Jersey Cannabis Regulatory Commission. Um, in order to get there, I had to have my business plan. I had to have a financial plan, um, my insurance plan, compliance. Um, I had to deal, work with a number of attorneys um, over the past couple months. Um, different accountants, strategists, security people. I had to work together with the labor union, um, the UFCW, um, to get a like to, to get an agreement with labor. Um, I worked with um, the New Jersey Reentry Corporation to do an agreement to hire ten percent of my employees from people that have previous charges. Um, you know, I, I I I did a lot of work in my community also. You know, to get here, I had to actually meet with my. Um, with my town, with the mayor, with the community board, with the city, go before a city council multiple times to have them approve you. Because when you think about like a highly regulated industry, you have to build their trust. They want to know what your plan is for the community. They want to know how you're going to hire, how you're going to hire minorities, how you're going to help to um, what you want to do, um, education, all those things. So, um, you know, it's, it's been a journey doing all of those things really for the past couple of months. And like I said, I finally submit my application in March and I should find out my final results in June. Um, one of the other things that I did was I also um, utilized some of my relationships to get agreements with some of the larger cannabis companies to supply me with product up front when I open, so that way I'll be able to stock my shelves. Um, and so, man, and the biggest thing is that, man, I got my big sister, Wanda James, to support me, and I'm so happy to have Simply Pure, <laughs> man. Like, that's the dopest thing of all. Like, because Wanda, like, I've known her, and, and like, I know that she had this goal to started franchise is simply pure. And so for people that don't know, Wanda James is the first black dispensary um, owner in the country. And so for me, like to be able to have her trust me with her brand to be the first person that she's allowing to carry that name, like outside of what she's doing in Colorado was an honor and a blessing. So, um, you know, even talking to her, you know, it was a conversation, right? I had to have, like had to have, you know, do all different types of business. I've, I've been, you know, the big piece is going to be raising capital um, because when you talk about, so the license, I'll have it be a conditional license, but I'm still going to need to purchase the property where I want to be. Um, so, you know, all in, I'm probably going to need about, a, might need up to a million dollars to be able to do the construction, to be able to, to do everything that I have to do. So the journey's not done yet. You know, I'm just getting started. 
Yeah, Simply Pure. We've we've of course sat with Wanda Wanda James and uh Dr. Shonda Shonda Masias has been on a few times. Uh so I know there's like this this circle of people now that's oh, growing. Those are my girls. Yeah, Tucky Blunt <laughs> is is fam, you know, Tucky Blunt's uh, you know been that's down. All my- yeah. I mean, but you know, so there you have to be part of a crew. You have to be you have to have your inside cuz they're going to help you with the the uh, all of the 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 hoops that you have to jump through, uh, which makes it even easier. We should make it easy for one another. I think no one should have to start from scratch. Absolutely, and that's what I believe because I said if, if I'm going to come into this industry and do it, like why should I start from scratch, right? If I know that the people that I trust, that I know and love, and I work with, um, you know, that why shouldn't I work together with them? Not only to benefit me, but also to benefit them. Um, you know, I listen to you and Dr. Carr and everything all the time. So like my parents raised me on that cooperative economics. Um, you know what I mean? So I try to live those principles um, in, in everything that I do. So Tier Johnson is here, uh, soon to be owner of a dispensary, t- testifying before uh, state Senate uh, about equity. Are, are you optimistic that this is going to be federally made legal? Because right now, even with your dispensary, say you make a billion dollars, say you make 20 million next year. Uh, you still can't put that money in a bank. You're right. You're right. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm very optimistic that, um, you know, that I can't say that it necessarily um, how I can't necessarily say when, but I'm very optimistic that cannabis will be legalized on a federal level. And I believe that it will happen soon. Um, you know, in the work that I do in my day job at U.S. Cannabis Council, um, I work um, most of the work that I do is on the Hill and working together with our government relations teams and folks on cannabis policy. Um, so, you know, there's a number of bills that have been um, circulating um, to, like on cannabis legalization on another on a number of levels. Um, we've had the Moore Act that recently passed the House, um, you know, a number of times. Um, the, but the, the one that you mentioned, the safe banking is a really big and really important one because the safe banking um, act would allow people to have access to banking. Um, give people safe harbor to banking services, even though cannabis is federally illegal. And that's really important, right? Because the way cannabis is now, as it is one particular aspect of it is because cannabis is federally illegal, If, like, as we're talking about minorities that want to get into the business, we already have less wealth, less access to wealth. So if you can't go to the bank and get a loan the same way you could to get in any other business, you're already at a disadvantage. You only can use private equity, venture capital, personal wealth, um, to be able to get in this industry right now. And our people don't have that. So not having access to banking puts us at a disadvantage, but it's also a public safety issue. So I don't care how you feel about cannabis or social equity. Um, these cannabis dispensaries, um, when people have cash on hand, um, it's an opportunity for them to get robbed. Like my boy, Tucky, who you've had on here, like if you see or hear the stories of what's happened to him out there in Oakland and what's happened to his dispensaries and people that have been killed, um, because, you know, because they're having to do business in cash, it doesn't make any sense. Um, so getting banking passed for me is one of the top priorities. And it's something that I get to work on all the time. Um, and then in addition to that, um, you know, the Cannabis Administration Opportunity Act is one is something that's on the horizon. Um, my home senator, Cory Booker, um, Chuck Schumer up there in New York, they've been working on that bill. Um, senator Ron Wyden. Um, which would legalize cannabis. It hasn't been introduced yet. They introduced a discussion draft um, last year. And so people have been commenting. And so now they'll finally be releasing the bill, um, which is expected to be soon. But one of the interesting things is when it comes to cannabis legalization, and this is why I believe that we're getting closer than ever, especially when it comes to issues like safe banking, is that it's now a bipartisan issue. 
Um, I've had the opportunity mm-hmm. to spend time with Nancy Mace, a Republican uh, member of Congress who's introduced a cannabis legalization bill. Um, you know, so now it's an issue that's being discussed on both sides of the aisle. Um, so, you know, most Americans live in a place now where they can get access to legal cannabis in some form. Cannabis is legal for medical use in 36 states, 18 states, maybe 19 could be wrong. But, you know, like I said, so like now, you know, cannabis, all the American public, they, they're telling you that that they want that this is something that should be legalized, even if you're not consumers. So that we just have to get our politicians to catch up. We're almost there. A- absolutely. Uh, safety. Uh, let's get back to that. We, we have a few minutes left. Uh, how much of your budget that you had to put together is dedicated to security? And oh, what security, does that look like? Um, security is security's <laughs> security is like the biggest part of the budget. I mean, because a big part of the budget, because not only you have to have um, for one, the dispensary has to be built in a way that is secure. Right. Like and you think about like the walls. Like, you know, think Ocean's Eleven, like people like again, like if you see this video of Tucky spot in Oakland and the way people were doing it, like you have to you have to have that type of security. But you also have to have cameras. Um, You know, you have to have um, safes. You have to have different like types of like mechanisms to to limit access to certain areas. You have to have vaults like, you know, bank quality size, um, bank quality vaults, you know what I mean? The stored product. So all those, you know, all those costs come up literally when we talk about getting a dispensary um you're talking about hundreds of thousands and that's you know that's where all the costs come in right and then even when we talk about security like you know actually had actually having security like on site like even when you open up there's still going to be ongoing costs so um you know it's, it's quite a bit it adds up i was um wondering before we go um dispensaries seem dangerous i'm never going to Take, partake in cannabis never probably never never gonna s- smoke eat whatever i've been you know i have several people in my life of course <coughs> from from uh dr Herve, damas all the way through been like here's some edibles i'm like no i'm not i'm good i'm good but i've recognized there's opportunities outside of like and i feel like the dispensary feels very dangerous what other kinds of opportunities can people uh access get into in this field that may not put them in harm's way what oh my god well well i'll tell you that that really is the greatest opportunity in the cannabis industry because along with cannabis legalization comes a whole ecosystem of opportunities most of the people that i know that are professionals in cannabis actually don't own dispensaries or cultivation facilities or anything like that It's, it's there's the cannabis attorneys there's cannabis doctors there's cannabis architects marketing folks technology um you know people that make the lights um events you know the the list goes on and on i always think of this interesting story one time i was in um missouri and this was like after medical cannabis just got legalized there and this brother comes up to me he's like you know cannabis just got legalized i'm I'm going to be a cannabis cultivator i'm going to be a grower and i say what do you do and he says you know i'm an accountant so we started talking about that more he says i'm a cpa specializing forensic accounting and i'm like man what you don't need to be a grower you know you, he's never grown anything in his life he can use utilize his accounting skills and learn how to specialize in cannabis right like you talked a little bit about the taxes in cannabis there's 280e the, like the te- people in cannabis have even special tax codes that apply to them so if you can learn that and master that he'd be way better being an accountant right so there's the one thing about cannabis being legalized, there's over there's over four hundred thousand cannabis industry jobs that exist right now. Wow. And so these are these are like good jobs, middle class jobs, you know, people that are making good salaries. So, 
you know, the economic aspect of cannabis is one of the um, is one of the biggest parts of it. And, you know, one of the ways that, you know, I know, like you said, you probably would never use cannabis, but probably not recreationally. Right. But one of the things that many people have found is that there have been the medical part of cannabis. Right. Has been something that many people who have never thought that they would ever use it has been something that's been that that has been what introduced them to it. When I worked, when I actually worked in a medical dispensary, it was one of the most amazing things because I saw people like using it for chronic pain. Like I saw veterans talking about like how it was the only thing to help them with their PTSD. Mm. Um, I saw people, um, you know, a whole host like people using it to try to like a whole host of different things, right? Um, and so you know, like medical cannabis, there, there's this theory that most, that all people that are using cannabis are using it for some medical reason. Um, so, you know, if you do, it might be medical. Right. Now, and that, that I totally, listen, PTSD, pain, arthritis, all of that, very super, super important to hear. Listen, congratulations on everything. Come back when your dispensary is up and running so that we can uh, support it and push people to it.